Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Today's interview with Tracy Dunblazer, she talks about how she's passionate about educating people around grief, about what it is, how it impacts, and the positive elements, how to deal with it, what she called in uh, reframing grief. So giving you an actual structure and process to follow so that you can understand what's going on and realize just how the moments from your past, whether they are big moments with someone passing or even the most subtle moments create grief, they create loss. And as she described, that that kind of grief underlies all other things, transcends all perspectives. And so it'll give you a great awareness of just how much grief does show up in your life and how you navigate it. Enjoy this chat. Hey everyone, today's guest, Tracy Dunblazer. Tracy, how are you? I am wonderful, thank you. Great to hear. Now, another uh, author in our midst today and excited to be unpacking this one, your book, most recent book, you said your ninth book, Transformative Grief, an Ancient Ritual of Healing for Modern Times. Now, just before we jumped on, you talked about that one of the great intentions for this book was to help people, like you're educating people around grief, you're, you're reframing grief mm-hmm. so in a way that people understand what it is and just how beneficial this education is. So please do share that passion for this book and and for that education piece for the world. Absolutely. Um, We have been conditioned to dishonesty about our feelings. When somebody asks us how we are and we're not having a good day, we're we're more likely to say, oh, fine, thanks. You know, you know, I live in near Hollywood and that's that's a popular thing. Don't don't tell somebody the truth. Tell them what you think they want to hear. What's Mm -hmm. what's comfortable for everybody. And well, that's that's not helpful. It doesn't it 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 completely disqualifies any possible good communication after that comes after that, because you've not been honest from the very beginning. But grief is something that oftentimes we have been conditioned to relate uh, to death and loss. And grief is something that happens every day for us. It could, it could happens with disappointment. It happens with exhilaration and excitement. Um, it happens, you know, you buy a new car and you're going to grieve the loss of the old one or the loss of the experience taking the bus or whatever you're leaving behind, you're leaving something behind 
to transcend into a new behavior, a new experience of life. And you've got to let go of the old connections and beliefs and emotions connected to that and open up to the new ones. And grief is the way we do that. It brings so this higher information down through our body and allows us to shift our lens and uh, the way that we look at life. Love it. And I love that we're talking the same language. Mm-hmm. I, I get, I do get regular questions and this has been one of my projects for the last six months. I lost the questions around grief and I'm not really sure what, you, you know, like what, what the, the story is and, and it, what you just described there, that that's it. Mm-hmm. It's like any sense of loss Yes. When even when we go on our own journey, right, and we grow, we there's, there's a daily or maybe minute by minute grieving every time an old yes. part of us sheds that we no longer need. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember when I first came to LA, I, I had a truck, and I practically I live actually not practically. I did in fact live in my truck for the first six months here, and I you know couch surfed with my friends, and. When that truck died, it literally both both head gaskets blew up and I rolled off the freeway. <laughs> well, wow. <laughs> and, and so it was my first experience of going to purchase a car all by myself. It was a real it was a real first experience for me. Uh, so I bought this Toyota Corolla. So I'd had that Corolla, I don't know, two or three, four years, whatever I'd had it. And it was an older car, too. So when I finally got to transition into a, a brand new vehicle, my first very, uh, my very first brand new vehicle, I resisted letting go of the Corolla. I kept it, I paid two payments, I, I did all of these weird things, which I didn't quite understand until the day I finally let it go and the person drove away in my Corolla and I, I, I fell to my knees and I just wailed because I, and I didn't realize the profound attachment that I had had to all of the first experiences that came with that car and all the mm. memories and all the, you know, transitions and all these different things that, that had been happening that, you know, I, I'm sure I grieved some of them, but I never really recognized the attachment to the car and what that car meant to me. And then where did that leave me now as it's driving away? Mm, so good and my mind straight away goes to when we we got some renovations done here well it's probably seven eight years ago and uh-huh. a moment for both both of our young children at the time just getting really emotional yes. like because we we're excited about it was and, and uh, we never asked for this we never wanted this in the first place right so they were grieving the loss of the yes. old uh the old toy room the old the old parts of the house that that they were they'd grown up in Yes. And we have these moments all through our life. And, you know, the I think you said before we jumped on, like the education piece around this. Mm-hmm. And it's just not a, just don't don't get upset about that. That's not a that's yeah. trivial. It's not it's not a, a big deal. And it's like but it, that's dismissing our genuine feelings around different situations. Right. And it's an illusion of positivity. Yes. You, you know what I mean? Like I mean yeah. being positive is being hopeful is being truthful is is having walked through that uncomfortable moment and gotten through it and now looking in the new light that has come because of it you know yeah absolutely now when i asked you around uh you know what was that sort of big moment for you around grief and you said well i had a bit of a laugh like a (laughs) sarcastic laugh because you're like oh there's just been so much i want to ask around 
specifically around this inspiration for this book? What was the big moment that that led you to realize that, oh, I need to share this message with more people, particularly those empaths, which a high percentage, if not all, maybe they mm-hmm. don't know yet, of the listeners uh, right. are particularly sensitive to other people's stuff. So, yeah, please do share. So I was born multi-spirited, which means I, I had many soul souls that came in with me. And some of them, some of them were guides, some of them were actual souls I was carrying, and then some were... Uh, my relationship to past past lives. And all of that led me to this experience of experiencing grief every single day. Um, and for many decades, an enormous amount of grief every day to the point at which I couldn't, I didn't communicate it with uh, about it with my family because they didn't really understand. And then when I, uh, I think when I was about 30, I had I had just arrived here in LA And that's when I started working as a spiritualist. It was something that I had always been. I'd always been psychic and I'd always channeled. I'd always done these things, but I'd not ever shared that with anyone. So finally I started sharing it. And then that turned into a career, which I never anticipated. And it was when I really began to understand that grief is a daily part of our lives. And witnessing like that, that was my role with people. People would come and sit down on my couch and burst into tears. Like they, they hadn't cried in years, but the minute they get in my presence, because that's the nature of the, the energy going on for me, they yeah. just let it all out. And then they would have these enormous epiphanies of, of like self-acceptance or understanding or you know recognition of the aha moment of this is what to do next, right? All of these different experiences. And, and I thought this this, you know, gosh, am I so lucky. I'm so lucky to be able to have this experience yeah. every day, witnessing all these people and their epiphanies. But but this is what life is about. And it's it's we, we have to start thinking about grief as a transcendent, magical experience. You know, some of the best advice somebody ever gave me, she said, uh, Tracy, when you cry, cry as loud as you can cry out to the heavens, make sure they hear you. And when I started to do that, things really, I no longer felt stuck. I no longer felt ashamed. I no longer felt uh, broken. I think that's one of the, the things that when, you know, our cultures like to encourage people to think that they're broken and that they need to fix themselves. Where grief is integrating all that we are into this time and place. And if it, that, that's, that's the message of this book, is that as you embrace grief in the little ways, you can also eliminate a lot of the huge grief responses to things that where, where it doesn't make sense, you know, mm-hmm. and you can navigate your large, you know, the, the big losses, you can navigate those things more effortlessly because you're, you start to feel pride because of it. You know, you start to recognize its purpose. And when you, when something has a purpose, it allows you to, you know, embrace it. So good. Uh, I feel like this is going to be one of these chats that I want to go on for hours and hours because I've got so many questions just from that small piece just then. You, you highlighted something that, that 
again, the audience, all of them, they'll, they'll already appreciate, maybe not as fully as you've articulated, but it's the ability for, for those of us who have that ability to, to be a safe space for people. Mm-hmm. We don't even need to say anything often. It's just our ability to lighten the load because we take on that energy of whatever people are going through to provide them this safe space, lighten right. the load to make sense of it themselves. Right. And that's, that's the superpower of the empath, right? It is. And, I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, so in this, the book is, is I, I don't know, I, I can't write a small book. That is just, that is, that is the bane of my existence. <laughs> I can, they, they say, well, it has, we, we, we need to have, it, have this many pages and then there's always a hundred more. But I, I really wanted to cover, it's, it's really a manual for grief because I wanted to cover everyday grief to grieving murder and homicide, to how you address suicide, uh, how, how you address addiction and um, illness and chronic illness. You know, there are all of these things that in life that we grieve, um, and we have to and we have to grieve them every day. And then sometimes we have to help other people grieve. And I, I bring that up because it was it was really interesting to put all of that on paper. And as I did. One of the things I realized is a lot of times people feel like, gosh, if, if my friend is grieving, I don't know what to say to them. And you don't really have to say anything at all. In fact, saying nothing is better than saying something trivial to yeah. diminish the experience. Like if somebody dies saying that they're in a better place. Well, you know what? I don't know where they are now, but the bottom line is, is they're not here and, I, and it hurts my heart. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know I mean? it's, yeah. The, it's the willingness to sit in that strange, uncomfortable silence while somebody just opens their heart and lets the tears come. And that's, you know, we all have to learn that. Yeah, because people don't know what to say. Mm-mm. And then they try, and the old pattern is, oh, I've got to dive in and I've got to say something. It's like, right. yeah, it's actually a great teacher on listening because often it people is. don't necessarily want to talk, but they don't want to be left alone in, in that grief either. Right. So I have a couple of questions around what you talked about, about ending up being a spiritual guide. You said you had uh, other souls come through with you or multiple souls. Mm-hmm. How do you learn that? I'm sure that's not something you're aware of from a young age or is it? Like how, how do you actually get a realisation of that being the case? Um, you know, it, it was literally – I, I was never alone. I never felt alone. Um, I had many, uh, many different people with me. I had uh, many different ethnicities, Asian, Black, African, Black American. Um, I had, I, 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 it was like I looked, I watched and experienced life through their eyes. That's, that's my dog. That's my precious. That's, uh, that's Paloma. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, just, just let it, letting you know she was with you in her past life as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's like, hey, I'm here. I know. You're, she's just going to have to sit there and suck it up for the next hour. Well, <laughs> interestingly, my puppy doesn't always come in for these, but he made sure he was here for this one. He's, he's down on the ground there as well. Oh. So, <laughs> so yeah. when you say you had all these different people, are you saying that like – you could actually see them 
and they weren't part of the physical world or are you just talking about life in general at that point? Uh, no, they were, they were spirits that were with me and how that presented to me was I never felt alone and I was acutely aware of looking through the eyes of these other people, not just mm -hmm. my eyes, not just me. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up, I was born in the sixties and, uh, you know, I, I was born a white girl in, in the sixties and, and, you know, people are, my folks were, my folks weren't racist, but their parents were racist. Yeah. And, you know, people would say they, they, my grandmother one time asked me for something and she used a, a, uh, used, used the N word. And I just welled up in tears. I was probably four or five years old. And I looked at my mom, like, I don't know, even know what she's asking me for. And my mom explained, but I was horrified and I was heartbroken because the, the other, the spirits, the other spirits in my, in, in my space were hurt by that, were yeah. disgusted by that, were angered by that. Right. So I had all of these fe feelings and then me as the, as the, the, the person I, I was, I was ashamed for her. You, you know what I mean? I, I experienced yeah. that shame for her and I, I was having all of this experience. Um, I cried a lot. That was one of the things that I, when it got to be too much, I cried. And that's one of the things that helped me bring up each spirit and its connection and attachment to, to me so that I could find a way to heal it and, and allow it to move on, which is what I did a series of those throughout my life. And every time I completed the grieving and sometimes the grieving could, could take, well, not could, it did in fact take years. And then there were the daily life experiences. And then there was the lift this life experiences. There's a lot of different life experiences on top of uh, that one spiritual trauma that I was sharing with that spirit. So that it wasn't, it wasn't until uh, the last spirit left me that I really felt who I was singularly because before I always, I always was, was aware. Um, and, and people would respond to me in ways that I, that I know that if the other spirits weren't there, they probably wouldn't have. And I was aware of that, but it wasn't until I became singular in that moment. I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's what it's, that's what it's been, you know? Mm, yeah. That's good. And the other like more logical for those listening would be how often we're processing for other people from a young age. So mm -hmm. you're, you're, by you bringing out that emotion that like, where's that come from? Doesn't necessarily make sense. Right. Uh, it's that empathic ability to drag it out of even parents and often oh, been doing it your whole life, which is why we get to these older ages and have patterns like people pleasing and volunteering right. at our own expense because we've actually been valued for this incredible gift we have for, for helping others to process. So uh, right. thank you for sharing that. So what was the catalyst then that you started doing? You started bringing that knowing that, that, that healing that you described to the world what what was the shift that took you from all these other careers that you mentioned before we jumped on to mm -hmm. to start prioritizing that mm -hmm. um 
when you say to start prioritizing, you mean uh, working with other people doing this? Yeah. It was it was kind of coming out of the closet, like literally like I, I was a closet psychic. You know, I, I mean, I had I had maybe I had two friends that I talked about it with up until I was 30. And then somehow when I'd moved here to L.A., I was working uh, in marketing and I told one of my colleagues that uh, that I did readings and then I did a reading for her. And then she led me to uh, our super our boss who said, oh, my God, we'll do readings for a gift with purchase in the, in the mall. I saw I was I started my career doing being a gift with purchase. How good. <laughs> Ah, but what was what was what was amazing to me is that when that happened, every event that I did in those first six months professionally, uh, people lined up out the door. Like it, it, it the, the response was not rational for what <laughs> it was, and it was completely unexpected. And every person that sat down, even for a five-minute conversation, they would end up in tears or tell me their deepest secret or tell me something that they'd never told anybody ever before. And, you know, there were, it was these, it, it were these healing catharsis that yeah. kept coming up for every single person that I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is good. Like, whatever this is, I'm going to, okay. I'm going to follow this. And then uh, very shortly, the the company I worked for got sold and my job went away. So at that point I had created enough of a customer base and, and uh, found some other places to do this work. Um, and so for the first year I did 12 hour days, uh, seven days a week for one year. Exactly. Wow. That was kind of like my, my uh, higher education of being a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny you say not logical that you would get cues like that, but I think what it shows is that people are more curious about this part of them than they will generally let on in a, in their peer group. Yes. And yet, and yet if you've had any experience, you know the comfort of being told it's validation right. of what you already know and then having someone just validate that and, a, and a, like you described, a space to talk about things that you haven't discussed anywhere else. Like right. what a gift for people. No wonder yeah. they end up in tears. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was powerful. It was very powerful. When I, when we were talking last night and uh, I was, I was reminiscing on this um, in that year times, people would often bring their kids to me. Um, usually, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old and, uh, this young man had come, and I, I, he was probably about ten. And I, he did a, a did a little reading with him, and I was just talking to him about life and spirituality. And we we had finished; our time was up. And I said, "So, you know, is there anything? Did you have any other questions before you go?" And he said, "Yes. Why did my mother die?" <laughs> wow! <laughs> and I was just like, ah, ah, ah. and. You know, that, that was, that was, uh, that was my cue. You know, we were jacking like, okay, well, sorry, the time's up, you know, <laughs> but, it, but it was, it was my cue to really help him understand that it wasn't because of him, because that's yeah. on some level, something had happened that he was left with this illusion, which oftentimes kids are, um, that, that somehow if they had done something different, their parent or sibling wouldn't have died. And so we got to have that conversation and, you know, he said, as, as any child, he sat there kind of just blank faced. Um, but but I know that he received it and and I know he left 
you know, a different, a different young man, you know, he said there was a turning point in that moment for him, just in the permission to feel free to grieve, to be safe enough to grieve. Mm -hmm. And the goosebumps I got through that part is like, yeah, absolutely. What a shift for him. And I, and I would say that that's not just reserved for children. Like every moment of grief when someone passes, there's a certain level of guilt because that exact conversation, what if I'd done something different? Right. Could this have all changed? It's that uh, letting go of control mm -hmm. or sense of control. Yeah. I, the way I uh, had that my uh, lungs go off through that around that moment. I was drawn to the part of your story where you said you lost your dad at 11. Mm -hmm. So what did you not get through that time at 11 that you're able to then so easily pass on to, to that young man? Um, well, the interesting thing for me is um, I knew Two years before my father died, he was not sick, but I got a I got an epiphany that he was going to die. Did that and scare I, you at that age? No, because I I mean no, I I I was always I was always who I am today, and the most painful part is I couldn't be who I who I am today in a in a as a little person. Yeah, that was that was my struggle. The the wisdom or the knowledge or the foresight or whatever that wasn't the problem. Communicating it and being embraced because of it was something that finally came uh, as as I grew older. But you know, you don't ever want a know it all seven year old. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't ever go go over well. No, um, but uh, but I had that epiphany, and then from after I grieved that night. I didn't grieve. I didn't really grieve again. I was very uh, disassociated. Dis I want to use the word disassociated, but it was it was kind of like nighttime. I would cry, cry myself to sleep every night and have, you know, tormented dreams. But hmm. during the day, I was every everybody's helper, everybody's, you know, wh whatever somebody needed, I wanted to be there for them for that. And I did a lot of leadership things in my uh, parochial years. Um, because that was very important to me. And I guess it gave, it gave me an outlet. Um, and I didn't really understand the impact. If, if I had been 12 or 13, when my father died, it would have been a very different dynamic. I I'm the youngest of three girls and both of the other girls, uh, had already had uh, a bonding with my father that I never had because I was prepubescent. And so yeah, right. it was very, uh, I was very Zen about it, you know, mm -hmm. as, as an older person, as I got into my twenties, uh, at late twenties, that was when I really processed what that meant to me and what I, what I missed out because of it, you know, grieving that what I missed out because of it. Mm, and, and that's a big one. Yeah. And, and so I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that because it's like, then we get over the initial part, but then it's a gift that keeps giving, not yes. always in a good way where it's like, Oh, what if I'd had a dad there? Or what if that person right. had been around? What if that was different? And and so how did that play out for you? It that sort of came to a head in those late twenties. So it did. So so two things. One one thing in the book, I call this the three circles of grief. The first circle is the is the event, the trauma itself. So that was my father's death. The second thing is uh, all of those choices we make because of the trauma. 
And in this case, you know, my, the, the hardest thing for me is that my sisters left the house pretty quickly. I was there with my mom and uh, it was just the two of us and she was depressed and she, she grew up in a, a family where you just didn't grieve that it was weakness. They were taught it was weakness. They, yeah. it was considered mental illness because there is mental illness in, in my uh, family. And so any kind of emotional uh, expression was looked at as weakness and that that was difficult and so the loss of my father my and and a lot of a lot of parents know this if you if you were in a two parent dynamic and one parent dies uh, the child oftentimes because they're safer with the parent that's left behind they take it out on them mm. and so my my mother and i had a a, a very poor relationship um, we were not close at all i was very emotional and she didn't understand it but the interesting that happened when my late 20s is I, I realized I wanted to heal that relationship with my mom. And I sought to do that. And one of the things that there was always this energy of, um, well, there's two, two really important things. I'll say this and then I'll hopefully remember the other one. <laughs> uh, my mother, uh, I knew that she didn't want to have another child. I was the third and I was unexpected. And that always weighed on me. I could, I literally could feel it in my shoulders. Yeah, And I finally said to her one day, we were having happy hour. Um, I had come home for the holidays and we were sitting around the kitchen table. And I said, so, you know, when you got pregnant with me, did you want to have me? And she says, Oh, you know, Trace, I love you. And I'm like, no, that's not my question. Did (laughs) you want to get pregnant? She said, no, no, I didn't. And I said, ah, and it, she freed me. She freed mm. me because I had, I was born two months early. I was a preemie in the sixties. And that was, you know, that's, that was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was on a mission to be here and, and, and she was my entry point. And I didn't, you know, I, I, I always sensed that, that sense of unconscious resentment that when we finally talked about it, she could embrace the fact that she did feel that way and then and forgive herself for it and let it go. And I could I could then uh, embrace her because she'd been honest with me. And, and you know, I was going to come through regardless of what she wanted. You, you know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah. I, that's when I look at it spiritually, like I was going to be yeah. here no matter what. Yeah. So I was, you know, it, it allowed us both to be empowered in this in the moment. And the epiphany that once, once that healing with my mother came, the epiphany about my father was there is no way I could have been his daughter with any more years with him or with them. I was too independent, too high. This is, this is Charlotte. <laughs> Introducing yourself. <laughs> Pay attention to me. <laughs> yes, this is, this is her hour. So this is this is always the, the time in the evening where she comes to sit on my lap. So she's going to join us today if you don't mind. Of course, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, the interest, the, the thing that really occurred to me is if I had been closer emotionally with either of my parents, it would have imprinted me in a way that would have put me in conflict every day of my life with myself. Because I could not, you know, they were they were good hearted people, but they, you know, they 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 had their own stuff going on. And they my father absolutely would have tried to 
impress that upon me, his beliefs, his ideas. And he was, he was actually, I think the, the, his mother was highly intuitive and he was into spiritual things. And I think we could have shared that, but I think politics, other, other worldly, other, uh, I want to say not, not otherworldly, that's where we agreed, but in the, in the, uh, daily life things, we would have been in conflict a lot about a lot of things. And that as an empath, that wouldn't have been good for me. I mean, mm -hmm. so it made complete sense why I would create a, a family upbringing uh, and be in this very isolated and solitary position. You know, it, it actually gave me a, an enormous amount of freedom to be myself and embrace myself because I, I never needed other people's approval. Like that was the one thing I did have. Yeah, nice. So, so, so tell me, we, we talk a lot on this podcast in the interviews around signs. Did, mm -hmm. does, did your dad or does your dad still give you signs that? Um, no, not, not anymore. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> One of the best signs. It was actually, I, I, I've had other experiences, but this, this was the one experience that, uh, and then I, and I was, I was probably in my mid 20, no, where, how, where was I? I was in Los Angeles. Um, and so I had to have been, I was probably around 30 and I was dating a guy that wasn't a good person. He was just, he was not a good person. He was very cute, but he was not a good person. And I remember I was sitting, I was going to meet him for coffee and I was sitting at a Starbucks and uh, I think that he, was late and then he didn't show up and my dad i was sitting there with my coffee and it's been 15 minutes he's that, that, that that's how late he is and my dad all of a sudden i saw my dad do this <laughs> <laughs> which he was very he was very funny and very sarcastic very and that was true. his way two thumbs um, up for the listeners that couldn't yeah. see the uh, yeah <laughs> like good job with this one nice pick <laughs> Sarcastic. Oh my God. I laughed till I <laughs> cried in that moment. And I think that, I mean, I knew that of this person, that, that wasn't necessarily a shock, but it, but it allowed me to move, move away from any fantasy that this person would be anything but that, you know what I mean? Mm. He's always going to be himself. And I don't, you know, I didn't, we, we stayed friends for a little while, but, but it made it clear to me like that. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> Um, hey, uh, you'll understand this. I, I felt uh, when you were talking about that time of your dad's passing, but specifically in and around your mum, like a real strong anxiety around that. Was your mum like an anxious person? Yes. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Now, now that you say that, um, I don't know that I ever thought that of her, but she, that, those years, she, be, she was a chain smoker. Mm -hmm. That's usually you know, goes I, hand in hand, right? That's the, that's it, the it, it eases the anxiety. It it completely does. So yeah. uh, so yes, yeah. And so, she didn't. She did. She rarely felt her deeper emotions. She was very good with anger. Anger was her go to. Yep. With anything. Yep. So being the empath and then and then spending a lot of time with her, and I imagine if your older sisters moved out, then you were probably doing a lot of supporting her. Yes. Uh, inadvertently as well as consciously um yes. how did that dealing with someone who was anxious 
maybe again, you're not, you wouldn't have recognized it at the time, but just thinking about it now, like how did that impact you growing up through those teen years? Yeah, it was profoundly difficult because every time I, she, I would be overwhelmed with her, her un, unexpressed emotion and yep. then she would get angry at mm. me because she didn't know how she didn't know what to do for me because and she felt obligated to try to do something for me but then she didn't know so it just reminded of her of her powerlessness and so that that's just what we did we we <laughs> that just that was our whole dynamic for that that uh, probably 6 years um interestingly enough the as as spirit would have it um, when I was 17, I graduated high school. Um, she got married and they moved me out of the house into an apartment and he moved in. Mm, wow. Yeah. And, and, but that was, but th that was perfect. Like that was, it, I, I, I was, I was, it, it was expected. I knew that I would move out and I wanted to move out. And I wanted that space between us so that we could we could have a better relationship because living together was just painful. Mm. And she she needed to to be with somebody. So I was glad she found somebody. You know. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what you described there around um, the impact that the empath can have on their parents and other people in their world about like they don't know what to do, so it takes away their power. That that like really struck a chord with me because I, I feel like that was my experience as well was was that so emotional and bringing out other people's stuff um yes. and if and if you're listening and you think you've had might have had some uncomfortable situations with parents over the years it's like well sometimes what we we hold up a mirror all too clearly for them around the, the things right. that perhaps aren't going right. And that can be really confronting. So I really yes. thank you for sharing that. Now my right hip, which means your left hip, but sort of more like in a thigh sort of area is really playing up since you started talking about that moving out part. So, so what is that? Oh, that is so interesting. Cause Oh my God. Um, I just, I have, <laughs> I don't know what I did to myself, but this, uh, I planned. I right now. I am. I just finished the grief book. I'm working on another series of books called Your Crystal Allies, and it's a it's a uh, altar card deck, altar card and oracle deck, and then four books. And and I I have chosen to do these traveling expos and different events one every month since January. <laughs> and, and anyway, so it's, I have never been this busy in my life and I'm, I'm holding, I'm holding on for dear life, but I, I like every day I'm like, what, <laughs> what were you thinking? But the point is, is I was in Sedona, Arizona, um, last month, where are we? We're in April. So I was in uh, just a couple of weeks ago and the day that I got there, I, my left hip was bothering me. So I decided to call on a healing for myself and I went and got a massage and I left that place, I literally had no more muscle memory in the entire back of my leg. So you couldn't so walk? I couldn't walk. <laughs> what? And, and then I had to go and work. And I, I got through that the whole next day. I, I stumbled around and luckily there were enough folks there to help me. Uh, and it, it got a little better, but it was excruciatingly painful. And it, it wasn't when I started to leave, uh, when I left Sedona, I was probably there five days. So when I got in the car, I drove. So when I got in the car to drive, 
somehow leaving it. I was leaving something behind there. Something got pulled right out of me. Mm -hmm. And it definitely is about moving forward and interesting. I hadn't related it to my father, but that makes perfect sense because it, 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 I feel like it's all my relationship to men, my relationship to money, my, uh, not even just me, but my, like my mother's relationship to those things. You know, she got married because that's what you did. That's how you survived. You know, mm. women in the fifties and, and still in the sixties, even though that was the time when, when uh, there was a whole awakening uh, for gender equality, you know, it, yep. it's still today a struggle for some people. And that entire time in Sedona, that's all we talked about was, was, um, women and their relationship to money, their ownership, their ability to have ownership, their, their own power. Um, and yes, yeah, so that way I'm, I, I'm, I am re retraining that from mm. the ground up evidently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, as you already know, there's some more to unpack there. Um, now, you mentioned to me before we came on, so I, I'm going to assume that it's okay to talk about what happened when you, when you were 18. Mm -hmm. Was that a product of, like, was that more of this falling into these sort of relationships that perhaps weren't the right thing or was this completely random event where, where what unfolded there for you? Um, so spirit, so a lot of the spirits that, uh, that were traveling with me, um, were related to multiple past lives where I had been, uh, sex trafficked or oh, abused God. deeply in some way. And then ultimately I abused myself, uh, with drugs and alcohol to the point at which, and then I was murdered. Um, so I, and that this is all past life stuff. Obviously I'm obviously I'm here right now. <laughs> so when at, at 18, when I was raped, um, it was somebody I, I knew it was, it was completely a date rape. It was somebody I, I trusted, but I, I had not entered. I was a virgin. I hadn't entered into any kind of sexual relationship because I understood for myself when that happened, a whole a whole other set of things were going to come online, which was all of these spiritual imprints. At this mm. point, they were hauntings, right? right? But that 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 rape opened it up to this psycho spiritual emotional uh, relationship to all of those things, and and then having to confront my sexuality on top of it. So um, it was it was multi leveled. But the this life experience, I had the opportunity to ultimately eventually confront him um you know he 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 apologized and then 10 years later we uh saw each other one more time and i was able to uh you know i was able to complete the experience with him so it was it was through those through that that was the the impetus for being able to address all of the other spiritual imprints that I had in relationship to, to men. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, all, all the people that I dated were, um, I call them karmic relationships. You know, uh, mm. I think, you know, it's funny when people say, you know, people, when you're, when you said fall into relationships, um, for me, I was always very conscientious that 
these that that I needed to have these relationships with these people because it was going to bring me the healing that I needed. And so the healing was the goal more so than the relationship. Um, and I knew that. And uh, when that completed for me, like I've, I've, uh, I've not dated for a few years now and I've loved every minute of it. <laughs> the spice. Um, I, <laughs> Thank you, Paloma. <laughs> um, I would love to just uh, ask some more questions in the aftermath of that, if that's okay. How you were yeah, able to pro process that and like the the impact that had on you? You said you were a virgin at the time, and there must have just been so much there that, uh, well, the first word that yeah. comes to mind is anger. Oh my goodness. I was a ball of rage, but it's so, I mean, I, I carried so much karmic rage that that's what came through. And that's, that was, it was frightening. I mean, it was part of the reason why I didn't have a family or children, you know, at, at, at the time I, there was no way I could really get into and thank you. <laughs> she will she will sit there and do that for hours just just hours <laughs> um so i went to new york city that's what i did i went to new york city and new york was so magical for me you know new york sometimes really it either really embraces you or it just takes you and spits you right out and it it took me in and embraced me uh, in a, in a really beautiful way. And it gave me a place and the people who could help me manage my, my grief and my rage, who could, uh, laugh with me, who could, I felt, I felt very empowered and I had a lot of different outlets, creative outlets, um, to express how all, all of the different feelings that I had. So that's what I did with it. And, you know, I lived in a rough part of town and, you know, at the time I would walk, I remember walking from, um, I was walking across Harlem from east, from east to west, because I lived in, in uh, West Harlem, but it was like three in the morning and I'm walking across 125th Street from 2nd Avenue. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Bring F it. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, nobody did because I was crazy. You know, they're not going to, they, they look for victims. They don't look for crazy people. Mm. <laughs> and I was, I was on fire and, and, and just that having those experiences of, of being in a place to fully be, be me, <laughs> you know, and then, and then being, having people be able to look at me, that was the other thing, because I, all the people that I grew up around could not, couldn't fathom the depth of feeling that I had most of the time. And it was frustrating and it was hurtful because I could never really connect. So mm -hmm. when I moved to New York City, everyone from just people on the street, people who were unhoused, you know, uh, the the the, lo the local local hoodlums, you know, local criminals. I, I I got I got along with everyone, and I felt seen for the first time in a particular way. Yeah, wow, and and they probably did as well, and and heard. I, when you talked about like just 
that overwhelm of emotions, the, the level of tiredness, almost dizziness that sort of overcame me there was, was yeah, it was big. I mean, like, I know you, like the way I felt it was like you, you do a fair bit of energy management, but it still felt like it's quite a cross to bear for you. Today? Just over your lifetime. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, it, 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 uh, it absolutely was. I'm not on any level want to minimize it. it but it's, what's interesting, there's an interesting thing about grief that when you cry for 10 minutes or more, it actually changes the neurons in your brain. Yeah, and yeah. one of the, and 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 it leaves your neural circuitry prepared to repopulate with a new idea or feeling. Love that. And because I have cried so much, and this is this is one of the reasons why I think on some unconscious level people resist crying, is they don't want because it actually you don't forget what happened, but you forget that powerful feeling that you had. <sighs> you forget it. You don't need it anymore. You're done. But people don't want, they don't want to forget. They want to remember so that they don't repeat what happened. That's their way of trying to control it. Safety mechanism. Wow. Absolutely. So they resist that. And so for me, like I really don't, even when I think about them, I mean, there were times where I, I wouldn't sleep for days and I would cry for days and the burden was just too much to bear. And I would, you know, spirit always sent me somebody uh you know bear would come to me in 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 my dreams i i there was a grizzly bear that would come to me in one <laughs> I, I hadn't slept in in weeks at this point and i was i mean i just i was just a mess all the time like i was in the zone and finally i said i i need to sleep and i, I need help i can't i can't sustain this mm. and so uh the grizzly came to me and i woke up in its arms I was completely, wow. just, I felt so little and petite in, in the big grizzly arms. And um, I don't know, it was, it was, it was a powerful experience. And it just, it, it, it was the little bit of reminder I needed to know that, A, it's going to be all okay. Eventually, it's, I'm going to get there. You know, keep, keep moving, keep doing it. Um, and that day came when that final last burden lifted off of me. Mm. And, and, and that was, that was, um, I don't know. That was it was interesting, but it was a whole new now there's a whole new set of things to navigate because now now I finally really understood how people saw me. Whatever whatever they think of me by looking at me, I I understood it which I never saw it before because I always had all of these other lenses I was looking through. Yeah, so to me that's the tiredness that that I was feeling is like that time when you were just completely exhausted and, and drawn to the fact that it was a bear, right? Like hibernation. Yeah. It was like, you just need to rest. Exactly. <laughs> Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and then of course, physically. Yes. A bit of anxiety showed up there too. So was there part of you that was like, okay, well, now that I've no longer got all of those other things, like was there like a bit of a who who am I sort of question and and like okay, well, what yeah. do I do now? Yeah, yeah, because I think that what was left wasn't, uh, you know, when when you you know I had I had my my entire upbringing 
until I was 35, I looked through the lens of uh, black and brown people, Asian people, uh, you know, multiple cultures. But I looked through that lens of all of these people who had been abused and marginalized by white people, you know, indigenous. Uh, And so then I was just left being the white person. (laughs) I was like, oh, really? Okay. All right. Well, we're going to see how this works out. You know, but, but I didn't, it was, it was the one part of myself that I felt the less, I felt the least comfort with and mm-hmm. connection with. Right. So, uh, you know, almost, it, sorry, keep going. No, no, go, go, go. I was going to say almost feels like it was an avoidance tactic in some respects because it, it shielded you from, from that part. Um, and yeah. every time you're talking about self, I can get my lower back pinging, which is usually around uh, giving, receiving, creativity, sometimes money. So I don't know if, if any of that sort of rings a bell, but it's like if, if this is who I am, then what, what am I worth, right? What is, what is my value to the world? Right. I, uh, you know, I don't have the – def- I definitely have a relationship to money that I struggle with, Um but it's not, it's not, it definitely is like a karmic, a karmic pattern. Yeah. And interestingly enough, it's, it's also relates to my relationship to food, any, any like a uh, key basic resource. Um, I, uh, my family in this, in this life, in this body, um, a great, great, great uncle died in Auschwitz. And I learned that my mother, my mother learned that. Hmm. I must have been, I don't know, six, seven or eight years old. Uh, and she shared that with me. And the spirit of that man or that 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 knowledge s- stayed with me. And it really, I used to hoard food as a kid. And all, all of these strange things regarding food, binge eat. You know, I, I, I even if I wasn't hungry, I... I was always like, ah, but I, if they, I was always afraid there wasn't going to be another meal. That yeah. wasn't ever true. I've never gone without a sandwich in my life, <laughs> but that, that unconscious, but, but, but what if, you know, what if, what if like, even, even today, like in LA, what if, what if the earthquake happens? You know, I've got, I've got to make sure I've got everything that I need all of this hoarding or, or having extra just, just to make sure you have enough. And I think that, that bleeds over into my relationship to to money. I I do I manage money well. I make money well, but there is still this unconscious fear of but what if that mm. I that I think is is a part of my left leg healing as well. Mm. To me, nothing sums up just how little it's anyone's fault. These these patterns that come up and people waste too much time and energy like coming down on themselves like, oh, I've stuffed this up again. Why can't I do this? It's like, no, no, there's, there's things playing out unconsciously yeah. that, are, that are like you just described then. It's like, yeah. oh, I've got to keep myself safe. I've got to hoard things away. And 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 generally that pattern of behavior is passed on not just energetically but in behaviors and and DNA. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. So then, so then you just end up repeating so much. So it's not, it's not our job to, to judge ourselves, but rather 
be aware of it and see how we can make those changes. So, again, I, I really thank you for highlighting that, Tracy, because that's uh, yeah, a powerful message. I keep getting drawn to this. It's like unpacking more of this uh, psychic ability, whether it's through a demonstration or whether it's an explanation. But uh, but I, uh, again, uh, the listeners that would be aware that there are times when intuitively they just know things that are going to unfold and, and maybe they they don't fully appreciate just what a gift that is. Maybe they haven't allowed themselves to even label it as something like psychic, but there is definitely that ability to to know what's coming, anticipate what's coming. So could you mm-hmm. could you share a little bit about that? Because I, I know that there'd be people listening to this that would have an inkling but maybe don't have some context or structure around that to, to then make sense of it or make it work in their favour. Absolutely. You know, the first thing that I would say is just for our conversation today, let's take the idea of it being a gift out of the situation. Yep. And think of it as something that is regular. That is just how we are. Yeah. You know, you, you're sitting here, you are reading me up and down. You're, 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 we're having this conversation, but, but the, but the 95% of the conversation you and I are having is here and here, right? It's, it's not yeah. about the mind, words. It's about the energy. And, yeah. Mind and, mind and heart. Yeah. Mind and heart. Just so for the listeners, you couldn't see what you were doing with your hands. Oh, there, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. I, sometimes I forget that. I'm just like, everybody can see everything. Yeah. Um, so that that is how we communicate and people who don't think that they are psychic well they're just wrong they are you know they they communicate with their kids and their loved ones and their boyfriends and their girlfriends i mean you know the the whole silent treatment is never silent that there there's screaming going on in the silent treatment and everybody knows that so mm-hmm. let's let's take a brief moment just in this moment right here now with everyone here and say you know what this is just how it is and yep. that's okay yeah it's not great it's not awful. It's just what it is. And, <laughs> and if it can be average for you for this moment, it might be okay to let a little more of that awareness of it in. Love you know, that. by using using it, use it. It's it's there for you. It's a part of who you are. Right? So good. And we've all experienced those moments where we've gone into a room and it's like, oh, what is going on with the energy in this space? Like we've all sensed that. We've also sensed those places that just feel like home, that feel like so comforting because it's the the opposite energy. So right. we've all experienced it, but then when it comes to wanting to name it or or claim right. it's anything, then people kind of back away. But it's like yeah. I, I would challenge the listeners to do this. If you're in one of those situations with a relationship where there are energetic things going out, be mm-hmm. conscious of that. If there's something that you're not liking, just have a conversation with them gently and just ask that maybe they could get a bit of a shift. And if they require a more blunt message, then do that too and, and just see, be open to seeing what plays out that might be a bit different. Absolutely. Sometimes sometimes all you need is a boundary here. You know, like more, you know, yeah. you're you're going you're going home for Christmas and you're like, you know what, I'm not dealing with Uncle Joe's bullshit this time. I'm not doing it. Right. Yeah. And you say that to yourself. Well, that transmits to him. He gets that. And yeah. either he will want to mix it up with you and, and, and try to confront you or 
or he will just be repelled and move away from you. They'll avoid you the whole time, which is perfect, right? But that's we how we teach people to treat us is by the boundary we claim in our own sovereign space. So good. And what you describe then is what most people experience, either people retreating away from them altogether and they blame themselves or someone coming at them harder to try and get the reaction that they used to get None of, right. neither of which are pleasant experiences. Right. It all comes back to, okay, well, what can we control about ourselves through this to be able to get a more pleasant experience for ourselves, which will ultimately lead to a better experience for them when they are ready to. But I, you know, I, I question, you know, is that true that, you know, when you say we repel people and it, and it's hurtful to us, but is that true? Cause the truth is we don't want them. We don't want that. You know, what, what we really want is we want those people to be different and they're not going to be. And that's mm. hurtful. Mm. Yeah, good point. Good point. Right? We, don't, we don't want the bad behavior. We don't want the conflict. And we're not going to tolerate the conflict. But what we want is for somebody to be somebody sometimes other than who they are. And sometimes yeah. we just have to grieve that and accept it and then let them, you know, be who they are. Whether yeah. or not they can be in our presence or not. Yeah, I, I would say that it would show up individually depending on the person, but but what you right. said, the key part would be the grief, is that it would be a sense of loss. Yeah. Exactly what the nature of that loss would depend on the individual's experience with that person. Uh, but, yeah, you're raising a good point. It's, we don't want that in our life anymore. We're actually getting what we've asked for. Right. Right. And I think sometimes we just don't want to admit that. We want to stay in that victimized position like, oh, they don't yeah. like me. You yeah. know, when, wait, I don't like you. Wait, I, I started this. Sorry, you're right. Never mind. Bye-bye. <laughs> stay, stay as long as you'd like. <laughs> exactly. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, but again, I guess that highlights also is that sometimes that when we do kind of have that wish for, for different things and then it actually happens, then we're left going, oh, now I'm on my own. I'm not sure if that's right. what I wanted either. And that and that's right. that opportunity for self-reflection. Yes. You mentioned before around uh, that sense that we feel like we're broken. And what you said was something that, that I'm a big believer in as well. We're not broken. Like we're we're a a soul in a in a physical vessel. Mm-hmm. Like our, our soul it just is. Yeah. We can, the part that we can improve is that relationship with that part of us. Mm. So what, what would you share around, around that for people who are feeling like they're broken and can't be fixed? Well, when the heart breaks, it's actually opening and expanding. So what we feel is breaking is actually growth. It's expanding, but expanding from from inside out. And that open-heartedness attracts to you anything that you could possibly want or need on every level. And sometimes you have to let let it be okay for things to come effortlessly. You know, that's, I think that, you know, when, when somebody who is used to being steeped in conflict, I think that was, that was, that was difficult. I can't say it was difficult for me, but I, there was a distinct point at which I went, Oh, you know what? Things can be easy now and that's okay. 
I yeah. really am done with honing my skills in conflict. <laughs> you know, I, I am, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, not kind of, by, by some people I am known as a demon slayer because yeah. anybody can bring anything to me and I will walk through it with you. You know, I don't, I don't have a lot of fear as it comes to spiritual things. And, and I get, I get those layers that we, that, that some of us have. So, um, but for me, it was like, oh, okay. So I don't have to be in conflict and this can be easy. Huh? What would that be like? That's like, that was a whole new flow and a whole new set of behaviors that I had to consciously think about what they were for me and then practice them. And we forget that we, we forget that we have to practice things being easy. <laughs> yeah. It's intuitive. Yeah. And we've been also programmed to believe that life is a struggle. Right. And, and the thing that we do so well and so effortlessly, how could that possibly be valuable? Exactly. And yet that's exactly. our, our greatest value. The, uh, if, if you need any more motivation to want to change that, it's like you're not just doing yourself a disservice by needing to rescue people or by needing to be the victim, but you're doing the other person in that relationship a disservice as well because you're keeping not only you stuck, but you're keeping them stuck while you continue to play that role. Right. Right. Okay, so the only other thing that I was drawn to was, I don't know if you can make this work, can you do a collective reading for the listeners mm -hmm. of something beneficial, we'll get yeah. a good feeling around this, something beneficial to their future? Yes, yes, I can. I'm uh, going to reach for, I think they're right back here, hold on. I'm going to move right out of where are they? Here they are. I have my, uh, my new crystal cards that I'm doing. I love crystals. And in fact, I'll share with you. Look at this bad boy. Oh, wow. Oh, I can feel that. <laughs> it's, it's called, it's called a, a dragon's tooth or a root. It's an amethyst chevron and it's a double. Mm. Very exciting. And give me a headache. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh -huh. so I'm going to pull, give me a, give me a number uh, between one and five. Well, I was going to ask you about four before, so it's four. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So I'm going to pull four crystal cards. Because while they are altar cards that you can work with crystals, there are uh, they have oracle meanings. So I just pulled. This is interesting. I pulled Caribbean calcite, fluorite, tiger's eye, and trans channeler. And the meaning of the four of those together, hold on one second. Well, so this, so this is talking about um, 
the energy and the information that every every soul every person with with their personality their beingness their dna their you know what the, their body everything that they have in in this life in this experience has been honed to be used to express the uniqueness that you are that that is the special vibration that's needed exactly where you are right now and when it's time for it to be somewhere else it will be moved somewhere else that's not you don't have to worry about that but this is really talking about letting yourself relax into giving your community yourself your family the 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 uh, group of people around you offering that special imprint and perspective that only you bring and when you do that it creates a whole other form of education. We educate people by embracing our own thoughts. Like if, if, if who we are, how we think, our, our modus operandi, how we want to accomplish things, all of those things are valuable and it gives other people permission to do the same. And then the more we're able to actually actualize it and bring it out through our communication and through our actions, that creates a, a domino effect where other people begin to do that too. And that is an energetic matrix that creates a sense of stability that I think everybody's wanting right now. If, if there was one question that I think everybody has right now or, or thing that they're concerned about is this complete sense of a lack of stability. And we are not unstable. The world is really going to be okay, but what, what we're finding is we're having to be accountable for our own sense of balance in and of ourselves. The more we own our own, the more we're going to connect to the balance in other people and create a, a matrix of protection and strength. But it has to start with you and who you are doing your own work, not, not taking everybody else's inventory about what they need to do, but doing your own work and then not being ashamed to talk about it. Ooh, the tingles there for that last part. <clears throat> so, uh, I loved that and so spot on uh, for me personally. Uh, and I'll tell you what showed up for me, just maybe for some context for the listeners as well. The word you used that really shone was relax because that word had come to me before you started speaking. It's going to be a key part for, for all of you listening. Uh, I got that the headache thing was the overthinking that really intensified when you were explaining this and maybe they were overthinking the fact that it was a reading and how that would benefit them. Uh, and it could be also be around what you talked about, having those different conversations that they're already having but maybe a bit more consciously. Mm -hmm. The, when you were talking about the balance, uh, my right foot was my left foot, which would be mirroring the right foot. So mm -hmm. the masculine, right? The the if you're a male, more of that drive and doing, playing that masculine role. And if you're in the feminine, not being stuck in that masculine role. If that's not your, if that's not your best way of operating. Now, of course, there's going to be all sorts of different variations of that. But it's that's how we're going to find balance is getting is getting everything back into what each individual, as you said, right. your own work and not being afraid to share that. That's the part that was kind of like the biggest gift out of that whole that whole reading. Yeah. Whew, thank you. That was 
Awesome. Tracy, where can people find your book and your other books? Uh, so firstly, if you could just share where they can find your, your, the current book that we were talking about today, but then also where they, can they find out more about you? Well, um, I believe Transformative Grief is actually, I think, is going to launch either tomorrow or in the next week or so in Australia. Awesome. So you can so you can find it anywhere books are sold in Australia, um, but you can find it anywhere books are sold. You can find it on any Amazon. It's already listed there. You can go and buy it, and it'll be shipped whenever it ships. Um, here in the U.S., it's going to be in uh, in May 28th. But like I said, in the U.K. and Australia, it's going to launch already because they have a, a different system happening. Um, right. And then you can go to tracydunblazer.com. You can see my spelling on the on the screen there that tracydunblazer.com. You can find all of my stuff. My books are at beaslayer.com. That's my, my, <laughs> my book site. Uh, and you'll, and any, any book that I've written, if you go to any Amazon, you can just see the list of them there. Or like I said, see them on my site. Very cool. And uh, we'll make sure we get those links in the show notes for those who are listening and not watching as well. So you'll have all those links there to find out more about Tracy and her, this wonderful book and, and her other books as well, and a series coming out soon. So, yes, thank you, Tracy. Oh, very cool. That was a great ride, and yeah, I love the share. Thank you so much, Tracy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Great to hear. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.